This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. On this week's very special episode, I'm joined by Luke from Evolving Hockey, the premier hockey analytics website. We have a great conversation about hockey analytics in general, as well as some of the metrics that Evolving Hockey has developed and will be developing in the future. This is Ice Analytics. Welcome to episode number 23 of Ice Analytics. I am your host, Matthew Arp. Very excited to bring you a special edition of the podcast that is going to be solely dedicated to this conversation I had with Luke from Evolving Hockey. But first things first, there's going to be a slight programming change for the show going forward. It's not going to be coming out every week, so... If you're looking for us next Friday and you can't find us, there's nothing wrong with the show. It's just uh, we're going to be adopting a new schedule, TBD. As far as this episode goes, I'm scrapping the number crunch. We're just going to be jumping into a stat chat with Luke from Evolving Hockey. And I don't know if you, maybe you didn't hear about it. Maybe you didn't hear about it. Maybe you don't know. You've been away a long time. Maybe they didn't go over there and tell you, I don't shine shoes no more. Seriously, Evolving Hockey is one of the upper echelon hockey analytics websites available and I'm sure you've heard me reference their material on this show before they do a ton of really good stuff and we get into that on this week's stat chat which is why I wanted to dedicate this entire episode to the conversation that I had with Luke but before we jump into that I did want to give like a quick 30 second to one minute long very brief explanation to the concept of regression which some of you may or may not know uh, what that means and that word gets thrown around a lot this player is regressing etc etc this team's regressing the word gets thrown around a lot but what it actually means or how it's used in statistics is really important not just for the conversation but I'm sure you've heard me reference it before and even when I don't reference it directly I'm referencing it. So I wanted to give like a real quick synopsis of what does this mean statistically? In probably the most generic terms I can possibly use, you've got a bunch of factors, you've got a bunch of different variables, a bunch of different data for different things. And what regression allows you to do is accurately describe the strength of the relationship that variables have on other variables and predict outcomes with the right set of information. By no means is this limited to hockey data or hockey analysis. This is used in financial modeling or election modeling or anything. It's used in a lot of different predictive statistical things throughout life. But yeah, the gist of it is essentially you've got different variables, you know the different values, and with that information, you can predict the outcome of another variable. We see this used a lot. This is used all the time. Anytime you want to try to predict or an outcome, you can use regression to do that. And I would be happy to expound upon this at another time. There you have it. Uh, that's it. That's my little primer. And, uh, you know, it's going to come up a few times in the interview, as well as I know it's come up on, on previous episodes. So just want to make sure that was out there and uh, hope you enjoy. On this edition of Stat Chat, I am very excited to be joined by Luke from Evolving Hockey, the premier hockey analytics website, bar none. You can find the website at evolving-hockey.com and their Twitter at Evolving Wild or at Evolving Hockey. I'm personally a huge fan of your work. 
It is both an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm flattered. <laughs> well, I guess we should start off from the top here. Everybody has a different journey that leads them into hockey analytics. And just for the record, and I'm not just saying this because I have you on the show, but Evolving Hockey was definitely one of my inspirations that piqued my curiosity and interest in hockey analytics. How did you become interested in working with hockey analytics? And what's the backstory behind Evolving Hockey? Yeah, so it's been a kind of weird and wild kind of journey, I guess. Um, we're both actually not trained statisticians. We didn't go to college for it. Like we were both music majors in college. So that it's kind of a <laughs> um, interesting like hobby basically that we got involved in basically after college. Um, we were both big baseball fans growing up. Um, but uh, when we got out of college, we were living with our parents and our dad has been playing hockey since he was a kid and he really was a big wild fan. And we were pretty bored just, you know, being out of college and the wild season was going on. And so we would just sit down with our dad and watch the wild and being big baseball fans, I was kind of immediately just really interested in what the numbers and like what the more advanced type stats were for hockey. Um, and so my kind of experience watching and um, kind of learning about hockey went also kind of just side by side with the analytics side of it. And at that time, um, that was like 2011 or 2012, I think. And that was kind of um, some of the first things that really got me into it um, were War on Ice. So that was um, one of the websites that was um, developed by uh, Andrew Thomas and Alexandra Mandricki um, and Sam Ventura. And they all went on to work for teams. And, um, and so like, I think when I would look at or watch the game afterwards that I would, I would always go to like Warren ice and I would check the, the Corsi, you know, the, the classic line chart showing each team's Corsi shots. And I think just, I don't know, I just got really curious about it. Like, I think it was a really interesting space. Um, and especially, like I said, being a baseball fan, um, I was familiar with fan graphs and baseball reference. And I was really, I wanted to know, like, what was that like for hockey? And I think just kind of getting, um, <laughs> well, really the big spark was um, Dawson Springs War Model when that came out in like 2015 um, or 2016, because um, that was just something like, I was very familiar with baseball war and seeing like an open, usable public um, war model, like we just started working with um, his war model and just making kind of some charts with it. And then it seemed like nobody really was like working with it. And um, he wasn't making any charts with it. And I thought it was really interesting. So we just kind of got on Twitter, started making some charts and people really liked them. And from there, it kind of just snowballed. And uh, yeah, now, not to belabor it too much, but that's kind of just like, from there, it was just mostly like a hobby and then making charts on Twitter and then eventually kind of just getting really into the actual kind of, I guess, nuts and bolts of the stats and really trying to understand them. And then every time I, I think I learned something new, I wanted to try something new. And then um, it just, yeah, <laughs> kind of went from there. So, so going from uh, music background to uh, uh, hockey analytics space, like the, the tools and stuff. I mean, I'm assuming Python, R, things of that nature. How, how did you pick up those languages along the way? Yeah, so that's really interesting. We actually um, mostly started in Excel, like from primarily, I mean, only using Corsica's data. So I don't know, Corsica was around for three, two or three years, and that was run by Manny Perry. And so what we would do is we would just download the compiled stats from Corsica. So Corsica was a big inspiration. I mean, 
I think that was Manny kind of laid the framework. I mean, he used some of like the framework developed by Warren Ice and then um, uh, Extra Skater, um, which uh, he works for the Maple Leafs now. And those were kind of a framework for Corsica. And then um, Manny kind of stopped working in the public um, on Corsica. And so what, but what we used to do was we would download the compiled stats um, from Corsica. So you would already have kind of what you see on our website now where it's already compiled, but that has to be made from the actual play-by-play -play data, which is public and provided by the NHL. And so there was a summer where Manny took Corsica down for like the whole summer because he was doing a rebuild, but the whole website was down. And so we were kind of in the middle of like working with some stuff and we were like, well, if Manny's already doing this, we can kind of just download the stats from his website and kind of, kind of work them into how we want them. But then when Corsica was down, for like five months, it was like, well, I think it's about time. And so at that point, Manny was offering a, I think it was a Corsia course on intro to R, um, like learn R using hockey data. And I think it was like 20 bucks. And like Josh actually learned, I was working on something in Excel at the time. And it basically became apparent that we would need to use the actual play-by-play -play data. And that data is very, very big compared to what you can use in Excel. So like a, basically uh, joined events and shifts data, which is kind of what you'll see on if you have ever used our play-by-play -play query tool. Um, it joins the event play-by-play -play events data with the shifts data. And that will basically range from anywhere from five to 900 rows per game of data. Wow. And that's about 50, 55 columns. You can add a lot more on. Um, and so if you can imagine a whole season, you're looking at, you know, that's 1,200 games, you know, about... So, I mean, it, it, it gets really large and you can't work with that in Excel. So Josh basically took it, um, took this course uh, that Manny made and it was great and kind of gave us the basics of uh, understanding of how to get into R. And I think it's kind of the same thing. Like if you're really just, we're both very curious about a lot of things and we get kind of obsessive. So uh, once you kind of get that spark, I think it was really, and once you clear that initial entry point, like it's kind of getting into Python or R is a very there's a very high and kind of steep learning curve. But once you get over that initial hump, it kind of just, you know, it kind of, again, it kind of just snowballs. So that was really like how we got into it. And I mean, we're both really lucky that we have each other to kind of learn together so we can bounce questions off of each other. And I think that helped us getting through it. And so it's not, um, it's not like, it's definitely a, a difficult thing to learn, but there's a lot of really good resources. Just if you can search on Google, um, YouTube videos, um, Stack Overflow, like if you're pretty good at Google searching and you're really, if you really, really like, I'm going to learn this, like you can, it just can be really difficult. Um, but we just didn't have anything else to do <laughs> and kind of <laughs> like, oh, I guess like I'm, I started this, like I want to kind of see it through. And it, it, it kind of just was something that, um, I, you know, just kind of out of, we really learned it out of necessity and it wasn't like our plan to really ever make a website or do anything. We just kind of were like really curious and wanted to kind of, we had started doing some player evaluation models and in order to continue doing that, we needed to work with the play-by-play -play data. So learning R was kind of just, we needed to do it out of necessity. Absolutely. So if you had to go back and do it all over again, what advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> yeah. So I, it's an interesting question, but honestly, um, I think I'm, I was, I was like thinking about this and it's really, um, it's a tricky question because the only thing I can really think of, because at every time, like I view it as if you make a mistake, that's always a learning experience. So, but 
there are a couple of very small things that I wish I would have known when I started. And that was mostly standardizing my column names. <laughs> so it's like really kind of like specific things or technical things about kind of working with the data. But I think if you're working with data, like if I, I wish that someone would have told me that you should have a standardized naming convention for how your table names are. So for instance, um, like now, I don't know, this might be too technical, but there's kind of different thought, schools of thought on how you should name one. And so the thing I wish I would have known is to use snake case, which is just all lowercase letters and any word or you know abbreviation is separated by an underscore. Because when I first started, we had, I mean, I would just kind of name it how it looked like. So like time on ice would be TOI uppercase, and then I would do underscore something. Or there'd just be random uppercase and lowercase stuff. And that ended up being a huge just pain later in the process because if you need to update column names you just have a bunch of code that is referencing things and it can just it can be a huge headache um but yeah i mean that's <laughs> honestly that was like because like again everything i think um like every step of the way i did something i might have done something incorrectly at the time but then i realized later oh well i did it this way but i really should have done it this way but it wasn't like I regretted doing it the way that, you know, if that makes sense, like it wasn't like I, yeah. I, it's a bad thing. It was just, I needed to learn that. And so I think that just kind of like, you know, going down your own path, like if, if you're like, it obviously depends on the person, but I think, um, you know, cause if like, I, I kind of, when, when I, when I first started, I think I kind of understood that it was going to take a lot of just like time and it was not going to be an easy thing but it's kind of like a it's just I viewed it as a hobby and so it was just kind of there wasn't really ever an end point it was just oh I'll just work on this um, and I think that having that mindset I didn't really have a lot of things kind of come up that I was oh man I wish I wouldn't have done that it's mostly just stupid little things like about <laughs> formatting data and kind of having a better understanding of what the end product is going to look like or the end result will look like before you end up under starting a big project so that makes perfect sense and speaking of end products you know there's a lot of very interesting progress and new developments that are happening within the analytics space uh things like micro stats and stuff like that that, that you know passing data there's a lot of cool stuff that, that's uh, come out recently what are some of the new developments that you're most excited about oh wow um i think um honestly it's kind of like for me at this point i i just feel like i'm personally like like I've been kind of burned out <laughs> to be honest about a lot of this stuff. Just we've been going so hard for so long and with the season taking a break, I've kind of also had a little chance to kind of not go so obsessively working on this. And so I currently am just like having a great time, just kind of like taking it easy and not feeling pressure. But I think some of the, the things that I really, um, I think the microstats are really cool. Um, and I think for me, um, I'm very specific in that I have, like, if I don't find something that interesting to me personally, I don't really want to work with it. So like a lot of the micro stats are, and the work that Corey does is, uh, is really fascinating, but like, I'm not really a video analysis kind of guy. Um, I've never really found that work to me to be personally like interesting or fulfilling. I know a lot of people do. Um, but I, I really respect the work that is going into that. Um, and like, I've never really worked with the data I've, um, I mean, I have a little bit, but not to the extent that you would see elsewhere. But I think um, some of the stuff that is kind of exciting would be, um, I think, um, like Megan Hall does a lot of really cool stuff and really interesting stuff with like goalie pulling and power play formations and just line combinations, just looking more in depth at kind of more um, 
under analyzed aspects of the game. So like power playing shorthanded and Mike fail would do shorthanded work. So like, I think just kind of, it's kind of things like that. Also like, um, like uh, some of the um, prospect analysis, that's, I think like some, uh, but like, again, like I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I've never really been interested in prospects. Um, and I, and so that's not something that I've personally wanted to look at, but I think that um, that's just, there's a lot of, a lot of new work being done. Um, and I think a lot of people are working or waiting for like player tracking data to become available. And I honestly don't think it will be in the public like most people do. So I'm not really holding my breath for that, but it would be fun to kind of get a couple of game, like if they released a game or something, I think that would be pretty exciting to just see what people would be able to do. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I think you absolutely deserve the break as much as, uh, <laughs> as much as anybody, you guys have been going hard for a long time. Yeah. I'm completely mesmerized by the models that you develop and I can't even imagine the amount of time and work that goes into developing them. A lot of people associate evolving hockey, myself included with goals above replacement metric. And if you don't mind, I do want to jump into the weeds of your modeling process for yeah. like the next hour uh, or, or 10 <laughs> minutes. If a casual hockey fan was interested in understanding the process better, how would you explain goals above replacement to them? Oh yeah. I mean, the, I, I think the thing is that one of the downfalls of, of hockey is that the entry point is it's like the methods required to analyze players in this way is are really complicated. Um, I think that's just like you can't just kind of do it the way baseball does, where it's it kind of started with a pen and paper kind of math where you can look at what's the running expectancy at each outstate of each inning. And that's kind of how baseball war evolved. And it started that way. And that's a really easy thing to kind of grasp when you look at, oh, in the seventh inning with one out and a runner on first and second, the historical, like you would expect to get X number of runs looking back at all of the history. And that's a really easy thing. And so then based on how many runs were produced, you can kind of look at uh, what a player contributed in that way. But hockey is a lot more difficult because it's much more fluid, but it's also similar to basketball in, in terms of there's mostly it's five on five. Um, but so if you're just kind of getting in and looking at it and trying to get into it, essentially what goals above replacement is, is it's very similar. The philosophy is the same as what's used in baseball. So it's, you're looking at from an actual goal standpoint, um, how many goals did a player contribute to it's kind of a, it's it's to their team but it's not exactly that like that's just kind of because they play for a team so they contribute it for the team but it's not really like normalized for each team but so essentially what and then what that means is it's not like actual goals like it's not like a single player scoring a goal like you would normally think about it it's with the um goals that were scored while the player was on the ice what was their contribution to that so if you kind of look at it one like um from a there are five players on the ice. Like we're going to remove the goalie here because that's different, but there are five skaters on the ice. And if a goal is scored, a portion of that goal can be credited to all five of the skaters. And in reverse, the defense, all five of those skaters are at least responsible in some way for the goal against. I mean, we're not goals again. We don't use goals against. And that's another <laughs> thing that makes hockey more difficult is you have to bring in expected goals because there's the goalie, but essentially that's kind of your ultimate underlying model or underlying framework is that you're trying to assign value for, or you're trying to assign a goal value percentage or portion of a goal to each of the five skaters on the ice. That's the framework for it, but that's not exactly how it's made, but essentially that's kind of your framework. And so it's called replacement level then, because generally 
Well, you start out with an above average rating. And so the models inherently are going to adjust the player ratings. They just inherently output a above or below average where average is zero. Mm -hmm. And the reason that you adjust for a replacement is because um, it's just the way it's done in, in baseball and kind of in basketball. But I, um, ultimately you're, you, an average player in the NHL is actually pretty decent. Like they're going to be bordering top third line or bottom second line somewhere in there. And that's actually a pretty useful player. And so from a player analysis standpoint, um, looking at what a replacement level player would do relative or how a player did relative to, um, a replacement level player is a lot more helpful or a lot more useful. And so what a replacement level player is basically, if you look at ice time for each team and all skaters ranked in the amount of time that they played for a team and you take the 14th forward. So, and then the eighth defenseman. So those, that's the general method that's been used in the past in the way we do it. There's other ways to do it, but so essentially you're measuring how well a player played relative to a player that, um, you could that is readily available. So it's somebody that you could just call up from your your minor league team, um, somebody that you could just sign like a veteran, somebody um, who who you would basically pay league minimum. Um, that's kind of the player that you're looking to baseline against, and that's a lot more helpful um, than average because it gives us kind of a more relatable baseline. So if they are zero gar. You know, I mean, obviously you need to take into account playing time, um, right. but that's a more complicated. I mean, that can get into the, you know, a little bit more into the weeds. But um, so essentially you're uh, wanting to measure against <laughs> that type of a player rather than average. It also makes um, summing and, and playing time. So when you adjust for that, if a player, well, I won't get into that, but it makes it easier um, to work with the numbers when you're summing over a long period of time. I mean, that makes sense to me. I don't know what's wrong with the folks over on the hockey subreddit. <laughs> uh, I don't know why they got such a beef. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's just a really, um, it's a very different way of looking at hockey. I think one of the things that people have a hard time with is a lot of, one of the main criticisms about hockey analytics from people who don't necessarily agree with the type of methods or the way that it's measured is that hockey's too fluid a game to, to measure using statistics, which I just never really, I've never really understood that argument because hockey actually isn't, yeah, it's a fluid game when you're watching it, but every, the, the game can be broken down into sub states where every time when a new player comes on the ice, that's a new stint, as we call it. And so it's not exactly as fluid as most people think, because when you have players changing, that's breaking up the game into a substate, into a stint. And so if you have that, what that allows you to do is that allows you to run a, a regression model. So it's the same, basically, this kind of gets into more of the technical term, but the regularized adjusted plus minus is the, that is a wrap them as I call it, or is we call it RAPM is normally how it's, um, referred to. And that's a method that was developed in basketball in 2003. And so Brian McDonald kind of took that method and applied it to hockey back in 2010 and 2011. And that's really the basis for everything, all of our advanced player metrics. And, and honestly, that's the same technique that's used that has been used in every single type of um, war model or of advanced player evaluation method. And, and one of the things about hockey that's actually really beneficial is that players are constantly playing with other players. So you have a lot of measurements to get for one player and how they did with these four players 
and then how they did with those these other four players. And you have that constantly changing throughout the game, which is actually really advantageous from a modeling standpoint because what, what ends up happening in basketball is that players play like significant amount of time with another teammate and relative to their total minutes. Um, and so that can be really problematic in a regression model like this because um, you end up with something called multicollinearity, which um, is, a, is an issue with linear regression where the model cannot estimate properly because it's looking, well, <laughs> gets kind of technical and I'm not <laughs> really qualified to speak about the technicalities, but it will, it'll produce really, really weird ratings. And we still see that in hockey. If you look at, for instance, the Sedins are a classic problem because they spent like 95% of their ice time together in several seasons and over 90% of their time. And that's extremely rare. Normally a player will play at most like 50% of their ice time with this another player the same. So, and that in, in is not really going to cause any multicollinearity issues. And so in, in ultimately hockey is actually very, it's very well suited for this type of regression analysis. And so um, I think that, but that's really technical. It's very hard for someone who doesn't under, who doesn't have like a history of knowing about the techniques that have been developed in hockey and other sports um, to really kind of look at and say, Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, I could definitely see that. And uh, it is a very complicated process. And I know we talked before about R and uh, without giving away any specifics, I know you mentioned the, the RPM and, and whatnot, but like, how involved is this process going from API data that the league is is putting out there to you know the single number that you're valuing players based on? Yeah, it's I mean it's really complicated. Uh, <laughs> I mean it's taken us. We've said it's taken us basically two. It took us two years basically to develop a GAR model, and that's probably putting in about one to three hours a day. I think it's mostly going if you're going from the raw play by play data. The first step is just rank data wrangling and that's you know going to take always going to take up a significant amount of time and so one of the things is building the RAPM framework from basically just just referencing prior work done by Don Gallimini Dawson Spriggings did that was what his war was based on was a similar method reading the paper three papers by McDonald wrote especially for someone who's not trained in <laughs> statistics it can get really difficult and so I think getting our initial RAPM framework took me about six months um, and that was a lot of work, just mainly because that mo that design matrix or the model matrix for that is so large, it can it, it just it takes such a long time because there's so much data. So um, to get to the actual GAR met metric, the real thing is that we've been really lucky, and because there's been so much great work done in the past, and the GAR method that we use is very similar to the box score. Or box plus minus, which is used in basketball. So if you go to basketball reference, they have something called BPM, which is a box plus minus method where um, it, it attempts to uh, remove the issues that are present in rapums in basketball or RPMs in basketball. And that's multicollinearity and just some other issues that you get with basketball data. And so that actually ends up being a lot more stable year over year. And so the, the, the way that you develop that is um, you make a long-term RAPM regression. And so getting to that point where we actually had a long-term RPM regression, we're talking this is a 10-year model. So that's every single stint, even strength, so five and five, four and four, three on three. And then that's every single stint grouped down to time where players were in unique combinations. So getting that set up and getting it run, it took us a good six to eight months because inevitably you're going to have things that are wrong and you have to go back and fix them. And so you develop that long-term regression and then you, then you get 
all those same players in that long term, the, the ratings that that outputs, and you get a um, their long term box score stats. So we're talking what we used was relative to teammate, which is a little bit more complicated than what basketball does. Um, but essentially, you get all of these play by play derived metrics that are eaten, and then the long term REPM, and then you make a model that uses the long term box score metrics to predict what their long-term RAPM numbers were. And, and that's, that's how box plus minus is developed in basketball. And then what you do is since that model, it's, very, it's generally very stable because you have you know, tens of, like thousands and thousands of minutes for every player. And so you get a much bit more, well, it's a much more stable rating for a player. And so then you take that model that you just made and you apply that to single season um, box score metrics and you generate player ratings using that long-term um, players, like box score stats predicting long-term RAPM, and then you use that model to generate the GAR outputs. Um, but the problem and why it takes so long in hockey is that you have strength states. And that's kind of one of the reasons that everything has to take so long and be so complicated is because you need to treat the, sep the strength states separately. So even strength, power play, shorthanded, generally we group them that way because I think that you, within there, you can say in even strength, this is five on five, four on four, three on three, and you can indicate that. But um, I think a really interesting thing that we kind of learned is that you kind of need to treat them separately from a statistical standpoint. For instance, Alex Ovechkin playing at five on five versus playing five on four, he's almost a completely different player playing at even strength versus on the power play. And that's the same thing that you see with shorthanded. So a lot of good penalty killers they play a much different style than if they were playing at five on five and something like Miko Koivu, for instance, is best defensive forwards at even strength, but actually his shorthanded play and power play are the opposite of what his even strength play is. So he's really good on the power play historically, but actually not a good penalty killer, Interesting. which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's something that's necessary from what the work we've done is that it really is necessary to separate out the strength states and then you have penalties. So like, it's just, Every hockey is much more complicated, not because of the techniques, but because of the way the game is set up in that you have constantly changing strength states throughout a game. And that needs to be treated in a special way to make it work with these models. And so really it's just like in basketball, they made one box plus minus metric, but we had to make eight because there's four metrics. So you have even strength offense, even strength defense, power play offense, shorthanded defense. You have to make a model for each one of those. And then you have forwards and defensemen. And those are completely different positions. Baseball has the same problem, but their metrics, their methods, there's a lot more separation inherently because it's a discrete, you know, it's, it's played in outs. So there's one pitch and then stop, one pitch stop. And so you have a lot more uh, flexibility with determined positional adjustments. But in hockey, I, it's, it's not really as easy. So we treat forwards and defensemen completely separately. So you have to make eight models. And really, that's where the complexity comes in, is that it's just an intense, really intensive amount of um, data preparation and data wrangling and making sure that you didn't make a typo somewhere or your you know, math is right. And it's just a lot of double and triple and quadruple checking over and over again. And that's really one of the reasons that makes it such a complicated sport to analyze. Absolutely. And you don't want a snafu like uh, office space. You put the decimal in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it happens. Like it, there's just so much that you need to do where you'll do something and you'll look at the outputs and it just, whoa, what, what something went wrong here. Like, you know, um, and, and, and that's been really, <laughs> you know, it's nice to have other <laughs> sources to double check your stuff against just to make sure that 
okay, I didn't mess something up here. Cause sometimes you'll get some really weird outputs and you'll go back and you'll spend an hour digging through the code. And it's like, well, I guess that's right. And I hope, I mean, there's just so much that it's really, really difficult to like, you know, you just have to hope that everything worked out. And after all of the work you did, double checking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I just couldn't imagine a scenario where dry was good at defense. It's like, <laughs> Oh, we must've made a mistake. <laughs> I don't know. The dry thing this year was really funny. I think that, really goes against the conventional knowledge and what people look at when they're and listen to when they're watching the game. I think that announcers have a really big impact on how people view a game and they have a really big impact on how people value certain plays and players. And I think that that might color people's perception of certain players. Um, because if you really go look at it, it makes a lot of sense that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl would come out rating pretty poor on defense, in my opinion. But, but I guess a lot of people don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. Well, uh, since the introduction of GAR, uh, I know there's been a bunch of other metrics that have come out, including expected GAR. I'm curious, what does the future hold for Evolving Hockey? I know you're enjoying the break right now, but uh, is there anything in development you want to tease us with? Yeah, actually, I mean, it's, it's been funny. We take, yeah, we've taken probably, I don't know, a month. Like, I've still been kind of fixing some small little things that we've had with the website, but that'll just be like an hour to two here or there. And that's just, yeah. So the, the model XGAR, that was mostly based on um, Warren Ice's war. There, that method that, de- that was originally developed by Andrew Thomas, um, and then Manny, Manny Perry at, at Warren, I, or at, sorry, at Corsica, he had the Corsica war model. And both of those models are, are really the inspiration for XGAR. So we just think from a philosophical standpoint that, that those models are more of an expected goals added. And if you're familiar with baseball war, really, it's kind of like comparing baseball reference war would be, or well, I guess ours is more similar to Fangraphs's war. Um, where offense is measured in the actual runs or goals that were scored. So in our GAR model, it's actually the goals that were scored for a player's team while, so it's not like expected goals or anything, but XGAR is actually, it's based on shot rates, shot quality, and shooting. So it's primarily based on Fenwick shots and then the expected goals of those Fenwick shots, both for and against. And so what you end up getting is something that we consider more of an expected type GAR. It's actually regression models, multiple of them, um, but it's it's a much different model than our GAR model, which is a much more, is, is more like a box plus minus. But in terms of feature things, um, right now actually we're working on a win probability model. So that's like an in-game, um, kind of like what you see on Money Puck, or yeah. if you are familiar with, um, like it's big in the NFL and NBA, and during March Madness, like you'll see a 538 tweet out, you know, win expectancy or, you know, just charts like that. And so that's something that we haven't done before, but it's like, I think it'd be really like people would really like it on the site. So we're kind of working on that uh, model and we're going to hopefully add it, add that soon. Um, well, <laughs> within a month, probably, I think <laughs> we're not going to try to go too crazy on it. Like there's a lot of different ways you can model it, but that's something that we're hoping to add for past games, which I think people would be maybe, you know, if you're rewatching a game, you could go pull up the win probability or win expectancy chart and kind of follow along and see, okay, yeah, this is a huge crash. It's like, I'm kind of interested to see what that San Jose Vegas. That's it. You know what? I was, I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I, I hope, cause we have a really basic model right now, but we have the data in place and the, and the modeling, the, the matrix in place to the, the structure to basically start trying to model. So that's really the first game I'm going to pull up is like, they were down by three goals and then you get a five minute power play and they score four. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what was the win expectancy at that point? It was four one with whatever, 10 minutes or eight minutes left in the third. And what was the probability that, that Santa or that Vegas 
was going to win that game and to see how much it crashed. Like, I think that stuff's kind of fun. So yeah, we're going to win probability model. And then, I mean, things that we had planned that kind of were put on hold by the current pandemic and cancel is cancel, um, cancel season or not canceled, but I guess suspended currently, but yeah, who knows? I mean, we would like to get projections. So a lot of projection systems for like, so if you go on like fan graphs, they have projections for like every stat on their website. And so that was something that we were planning to work on. Um, and then also like fantasy types projections. So, um, getting a, you know, just general fantasy projections tool um, was something that we were going to work on. And we were kind of going to wrap that into a new $10 tier on our website where we, you'd get contract projections and then player projections, like in season player projections for fantasy stuff. And then also like war and gar or an X gar and wrap projections for the, at the start of the season and also in season. So that was something that we were planning, but you know, the, the, the world kind of, you know, took a turn uh, <laughs> and we've kind of put those on hold right now. So the contract projections are still available in the $5 tier. I don't have any idea what free agency is going to look like, but you know, we did the model. We were planning on doing it for a long time and, and it took a while and it's up there, but we just have kept everything at $5 just giving, given the current state of everything. I think, um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to add another tier at 10 bucks and be like, yeah, we're not going to, you know, so, so we've put that on hold, but those are things that we're, we have on the, uh, you know, the list <laughs> that we would like to add. That's beautiful. That sounds, that all sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> As I do with all my guests, I want to give you an opportunity to plug anything or I know you just plug some stuff, but uh, plug anything else you're working on or any shout outs you may have. Uh, the floor is yours. If you don't know, we, it's evolving hockey and evolving hockey.com. And it's basically the basic standard stats are all free and open to the public. But if you want access to any of the, I guess, premium content or the GAR, Rapham, XGAR, um, the in-game charts, past game charts, skater shot locations, contract projections, skater similarity, anything like that is gonna is all under a $5 tier and that's on patreon.com and that's patreon.com slash evolving hockey. Um, and you go there and you give five bucks a month and you get access to all of the pages on the website right now. So check out our Patreon if you have not already. And yeah, in terms of uh, shout outs, I think, I mean, honestly, the thing with hockey is that a lot of there's kind of been a brain drain um, with people in the public, I think. But I think like people who are doing some really good work are like Megan Hall, um, I think in the WHL or the women's hockey space, like Alyssa um, Longumir, I'm not going to get that name quite correctly, but I think um, like CJ Chaturro is doing some really cool work. Um, Corey Schneider, obviously with the player track or with his tracking data. Um, and I know I'm going to forget some people and I always hate doing this, but those are just, um, just really quickly. If I had to think also, uh, Nathan Delara is this uh, kid. He's pretty well, he's in college, but he's um, presented at a at Rochester and stuff. And he does a lot of really cool work. He just did a, a skater similarity paper and he's done a lot of cool stuff about position positioning and, um, with player tracking type data, I believe. Um, but he does some cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I could just go on and on. I think like, I, you know, I'm just going to leave it. And I, sorry if I forgot everybody. I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of really good work on Twitter. I think that, um, there's a lot of great follows still, even with so many people getting hired, but yeah, that's, I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> Fair enough. I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. And if you haven't already, immediately go and follow at Evolving Wild and at Evolving Hockey for the best hockey analysis out there. And as you said, if you want access to the Patreon uh, or to the website, go check out the Patreon, subscribe for five bucks a month. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me and all the time and effort you have put in to reclaim hockey from the eye test experts. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's been a great time.
You know, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that up. I mean, there's a reason why Richie Havens opened at Woodstock and not Grateful Dead or Clarence Clearwater Revival, and it ended with Jimi Hendrix. So at this point, there's not much I can really say or do to follow that up. But I will say, I really appreciate the work that Evolving Hockey has done. I would highly recommend checking them out. It's the one site that I probably use more than any other for researching trends and and doing analysis on players or teams. So they do great work. Really happy to get them on the show. But Luke is just the first of many. I've got a star-studded analytics lineup coming out over the summer. Regardless of games are being played or not, be sure to tune in for some of the best content, analysis, and interviews regarding hockey and hockey analytics. I just got one more thing before we go. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped, offering you the best in precision engineered tools for all your male grooming needs. They were gracious enough to send me some samples. I can personally attest to the quality of their products. The newest iteration of their trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, isn't just like any other body trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent over 18 months perfecting the design, which includes a cutting edge ceramic blade, 90 minutes of battery time, an LED light to illuminate grooming areas, a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Folks, this is top of the line technology that has been specifically designed with your needs in mind. Manscaping accidents are a thing of the past. So how do you get your hands on this amazing piece of machinery? Head over to manscaped.com right now and you can get both 20% off your order and free shipping on us. All you have to do is enter the promo code THPN at checkout. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'll see you in two weeks. And remember folks, drink and think responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. You can find me on Twitter at Ice Analytics, and you can find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to our feed and leave us a review.